just seems so un unsanitary. Just relax and enjoy it. You know, my father used to say, whatever you do, do it 100%. When you work, work. When you laugh, laugh. When you eat, eat like it's your last meal. You want another piece? Here, have a breast. Delicious. Take it. Here you go. What do we do about the bones? We do this. This is what we do. Hello, welcome to the Movie Mouthfuls podcast, a movie podcast with zero table manners. Each episode we'll be talking into movies and at some point when we run out of ideas or fancy mixing it up, the odd television show. To chow down some of the most iconic cinematic cuisine scenes in cinema history, as well as just about anything else we can get our hands on, which very often in our case just means anything with the vaguest hint of food so we can talk about it anyway. I'm your host Jordan, a bloke trying to be known as a film fellow online, who more often than not says it as he sees it, just like our main character this week. And as per usual, I'm of course joined by the UK's number one competitive eater, who I guess like the other lead of this week's movie would like to see himself as the worldly intellectual of this podcast although i'd like to say it's just because he's a few years wiser than myself and that probably helps too just saying it's my co-host bean meets food <laughs> i yeah and i also sit on the throne sometimes just for fun yeah yeah that's true a porcelain <laughs> throne but you know, <laughs> not a decorative throne but uh yeah how's it going man yeah i'm not too bad i'm not too bad uh yeah each each week now i set that bar of like I think it was the week before you went to New York of just trying to make like more interesting introductions for ourselves. I'm, I keep coming at it and trying to think of new and exciting ways to I introduce just see us. Your, your, your face gets more and more blue and I think like you run out of breath, one day you're just going to pass out on the floor and that's going to be it. I'm trying to do that, like, that old school like uh, radio show host thing where it's just like, you don't stop and it's like 100 mile an hour like US like try to sell like a toaster on, on like the radio or something. That's, you sound too that's regional, the vibe. Too regional to be a, a radio show host. <laughs> Uh, so how are you doing this week anyway? Have you been up to much? Fine and dandy. A little bit low on energy because I've eaten like, I don't know, a thousand calories in the space of three <laughs> days. Christmas is coming up, but uh, yeah, otherwise I'm, I'm all right. Heartened by the choice of film we made this week. Oh, it was your choice of film this week. Okay, um, well, I, I tried to say we as if it was a collective decision, but yeah, I, I chose it, so it's good. To be fair, before we um, before we get into that, before we uh, sort of mention what film we're going to be talking about, you did mention this film when we... The, sort of the concept of this podcast first came up and i was like oh yeah no that's on my list of things to do do you want to do that soon he's like no we've got to do this at christmas and obviously we've had to wait <laughs> until episode 20 which is now christmas time to be able to do this um but before we do jump into that have you have you watched out this week or have you been busy busy and not seen anything at all have i watched out um <laughs> I, I i watched not by design. Uh, Mrs. Beard shows a, a film, I think it's on Netflix, with Aaron Eckhart, who normally is, you know, good in, in most things. Uh, but this was called a film called Wanda, and I did not a fish called Wanda. Wanda is in, I'm going for a Wanda, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, I really didn't follow it, didn't enjoy it. Um, it had Tommy Lee Jones in as well, so I was expecting big things, but no, it was fucking naff. Fair enough. I've I've not heard of it, so yeah. I don't know, with, the, with that riveting review, I'm not sure if I'll check it out anytime soon either. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Um, I, I checked out Ridley Scott's new movie, House of Gucci, at the cinema. Oh, is that the one with Lady Gaga? It is the one with Lady Gaga. I heard she plays a really good part in it. She's actually really good. Adam Driver is also excellent in it. Um, Pacino's in it. And then the only thing that kind of ruined it for me... <laughs> 
Um, I, don't, I, I don't know if you saw, um, I put out a tweet. Like I, I've started doing this thing where I kind of like summarize after I've been at the cinema just to remind myself and it might egg me into making videos on the films that I've watched. So, so that's my plan. You tweet yourself? Tweet, no, I've just put a tweet out there. Don't tweet myself. You just, you just, you just <laughs> I review the tweet like, later. I haven't gone like completely crazy. Um, but Jared Leto's a bit weird in this. Like he's got a very, it sounds like Mario, as in like he genuinely sounds like Mario. And like every scene that, you know when you watch a film and because he's quite a, a method actor anyway, so you know that he's a bit full on. But you're watching it, and every time that it came to a scene where you just saw him, he didn't even say anything. Me and my mate, John, so hi, honey, me and Johnny were watching it. We were just laughing the whole time. Every time he appeared, before he'd even said a line, you're laughing at him because of you know what's coming. 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, that's, that's yeah. why I usually laugh at him. I think 30 <laughs> seconds to Mars, hard. they were terrible. <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's it's a good film to be honest but it's it's not amazing funny that you should mention that because actually that, that reminded me of another film that i watched which you know was kind of like a middle of the road three out of five maybe uh the little things with denzel washington which he's in and he's almost unrecognizable he's so thin he's got he's kind of looks a little bit like me he's got beard and really long hair uh, but he's like totally emaciated and um but he's he's good in that as well who later yeah or, yeah Jared oh, right. yeah um yeah he, he's he's hit or miss isn't he? he's good in some stuff and in other things i think he goes a little bit too far and this is one of those although there is like maybe five percent of his role where it's like because his character is so comedic unintentionally that he is, is a sad character as well and like he does that really well it's just like any other scene that he does with this crazy italian accent that he's got is just a bit weird and then the other film that i watched um you know what i think just to interject a second go on, go on. i think the finest point in jared leto's career was when he received the axe to the face from pat bateman <laughs> you, I, was, I knew psycho. i was waiting for it i was like at some point he's going to mention it he's going to mention american psycho hey paul <laughs> that's that's technically got reservations at a restaurant so we could do that at some point yeah. <laughs> If anything, just for your impressions. <laughs> uh, and then the other film I checked out was um, a film that came out a couple of months ago that I didn't go see or pay for because I just didn't want to and I knew it was going to be on Disney Plus eventually. So Jungle Cruise, the one that's got like Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Jack Whitehall, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, sounds awful, yeah. How was that? Yeah, it's, um, it's basically Disney's version of, right, we don't want to do another Pirates of the Caribbean just yet, so we'll do a film that is so painstakingly close to the first Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean film in both terrible CGI zombie jungle people as opposed to zombie pirates. Um, it's, it's okay. It's better than it looked. Like, the trailer looked terrible for it, but then when I actually watched it, it wasn't as bad, but it's just bang average. Like, you get to the last act... And I was just like, I was going through Black Friday deals on my phone. Like I was watching it, but I was just busy looking over you stuff. You do love it, a bargain. Yeah, I've, I've spent too much this Black Friday. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're what I watched. If anyone's interested in checking those out, you can do, but that's that's it. Shall we uh, Shall we get into uh, the, the film? Yeah. Uh, do you want to introduce the film before we go to your favorite part of this podcast, which is just the transitions? Yeah, yeah um, the film is, uh, of course, a modern classic Green Book, or to be less Yorkshire, Green Book. Yeah, I was going to say... That's like, a Lancashire thing, actually, isn't it, Book? My grandma, book. my older grandma used to that because I think yeah. she was originally from Might Lancashire. be a little bit of South Yorkshire, maybe, uh, as well. well green like, Book, right, a book green which is book. green. Yes, correct, and we'll explain all about it in the next bit, so let's get to that. Hit me. I thought you were giving me an invitation to actually hit you then, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm excited for a second. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Green Book, 2018's Green Book. Um, I've, I've put an extra thing in here because it kind of summarizes in a way how amazing this film is and how quite wholesome it is. I didn't realize how wholesome this film actually is considering some of the subject matter that's within it. But the tagline for the film is inspired by a true friendship. And I think one of the genres that someone made up online was like a friendship movie or something. Like that was like the actual <laughs> genre. I've never heard of it before. Catchy, catchy name for a genre, yeah. <laughs> friendship movie. But it, but it's pretty accurate, isn't it? Um, shall yeah. we do your um, sort of like, well, I guess, our time on a tradition of you describing what this film is about? Yeah, and I've got to say this week, normally this is totally off the cuff, right? Usually I just kind of uh, brain fart it out and to, to varying degrees of success but this week because i love this film so much i kind of prepared a few bullet points right so it might sound a bit rehearsed but i just want to make sure people got the picture if they've not seen green book yet because oh, wow. on the surface it might not sound that exciting um but it is a great film so here we go so green book it's a screenplay largely based on true events about a virtuoso concert pianist don shirley who is to undertake a tour of the deep south in the 1960s uh where of course racism is still pretty rife so he enlists the help of a dry and bodyguard in the shape of an Italian-American everyman, Tony Vallelonga, aka Tony Lip, uh, known for his skill in handling physical altercations to aid in Don Shirley's safe passage through most of the southern states, and the film is named after uh, the book uh, written by a New York mailman, Victor Green, which existed to aid black travellers in identifying safe hotels uh, and means of travel uh, in, in the deep south states of America back in the 1960s. And scene. <laughs> I can't really claim credit for that though, because that was all pretty much bullet pointed. But um, that was yeah. excellent. That was, that almost felt like um, you know when you when like a film comes out and they give you like a, a little shitty synopsis with the, the the first trailer, and then six months later when the film's about to come out, they give you an updated synopsis. It's like a little paragraph that's just like everything about the film, like who's coming into it, like uh, who's being cast, blah blah. blah. That was that that looked. I could have imagined that being on like the Odeon website. Well, before Green Book came out. I, I'm not bad with, uh, you know, I'm handy with a word or two. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I gave my best. No, it was very good. Um, I, I can't, can't fault it. It was spot on. That is exactly what this film is about. And again, like you said, like even that, you might sort of on the face of it be like, well, obviously it's quite an impactful movie to do with the, you know, the Deep South, the racism, the, the era, etc. But you still might look at it and go, this sounds a bit, bit deep, a bit bit you know a bit of a difficult watch it's not it's not a difficult watch at all like there's difficult parts of it that sort of poke at what you've just mentioned but the the actual film itself uh, you know for two hours or whatever i didn't realize i was watching it for as long as it like it pretty much started and then i, I was it was at the end before i even realized and did you just fall just asleep? A fun ride. <laughs> just a fun ride. Yeah, I fell asleep. Fell asleep. Oh, that's a great movie. What a great choice. No, um, no, it just it just flows really well. I think I saw somewhere um, when I was doing like you know looking up for research and stuff for facts on this that um, Viggo Mortensen even suggested that the start of this film have no introduction or anything and it just goes straight into it so that it captivates the watcher straight away and makes you interested immediately. There's no like title card, there's no like explainer, it just sort of like you're thrown straight into the film, which probably isn't a new concept, but according to what I was reading, it was his idea and the, they incorporated it. And yeah, I'd agree, like it, it does help with the entire flow of the film. This film was directed, I'm assuming that you know a lot about this film. Well, probably more than the average film, yeah. but it's by no means exhaustive. 
So it was directed by Peter Farley, who, weirdly enough, has been a director for like 25 years. Do you know any of the stuff that he directed previous to this? No, I've never even heard of him, to be honest. Well, you'll have heard plenty of the stuff that he did, and then you'll be a bit like, but why did he do this film? Because it's strange. He was the producer for There's Something About Mary. Um, He was the writer on Dumb and Dumber. Um, He made, I don't know if you remember this film, he made, he was the producer for Osmosis Jones, that weird cartoon (laughs) sort of white blood cell thing. Um, Before Green Book, the film, the last film that he directed, which was in 2015, so bearing in mind this came out in 2018, so the last film that he directed was a US TV movie version of the British sitcom Cuckoo. So you know when Americans like see a sitcom like in between us over here and like, oh, we're going to make an American version. Um, I'd never even, I didn't even know. What the fuck is Cuckoo? Cuckoo is, um, is Andy Sandberg? Adam Sandberg? I always get get his name confused. Guy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, etc. Um, is in um, the Lonely Island, the the music group. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Jizz um, in my pants. Was that them? Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. It. What a classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one for the ages. Um, so it was originally his TV series, and basically, do you know Greg Davis, the, yeah, the yeah, enormous yeah, man yeah. comedian in the, the UK? Head, uh, Mr. What was he called? Mr. In In Between Us, he was the headmaster. Yes, that's the guy. Um, so in Cuckoo, it's basically his daughter goes on like a gap year and comes back with him. And he's oh. like a bit of a hippie and he's oh. like, oh my God. And Cuckoo's referencing to the fact that obviously Cuckoo's invade other people's nests, oh. like other birds' nests, not other people's nests. <laughs> and um, yeah, so they made a US TV version. So he directed that right, and okay. it clearly bombed because I've never heard of it or yeah. even seen it. And I didn't even realize that that was one of the sitcoms that America had decided to do. So it's weird. And then like he'd done, do you, have you ever seen movie 43, which is that weird clip show film that's like full of comedy bits that are not that funny. No. He did that. He did Shallow Hal. Uh, oh, yeah, me, yeah. myself and Irene. Oh, so, that is a great film. But it's weird. Do you not think it's weird? Like Peter Farley just for some reason went from all these weird sort of early 2000s comedies and it was like Oscar winner. I yeah. think it's just, it's insane. Um, well, every, people mature as they develop, do they not? You know, so maybe you just wanted to do something a little bit with a little bit more emotion. Well, I, I, because of how interesting it was, when I was looking it up, I got a quote from Hershel Lee, who was in this film, who we're going to go into cast in a second. But he said, as a, um, for Peter Farley, it was as if it was a first time filmmaker with 25 years of experience doing a film. That was how he described him. So it was as if like he was coming at something completely fresh, even though he's been doing it for like, 20 or 25 years well that's a good it's good to be that enthusiastic um when you're that long in the tooth but i've got no idea if he's done anything else since um but yeah it's just yeah it's interesting i thought it was pretty cool Um, his last one was in 2015 and then 2018 it's probably about time he had one coming up you never know green book (laughs) 2 electric boogaloo It, it, it won three Oscars as well, which I've obviously just mentioned, but it won the for the Academy Awards in 2019. It won Best Picture. It also won Best Actor Performance in a Supporting Role for Mahershali um, and also Best Original Screenplay, which on a just slight... Be, you, you realise it's Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, it's, just my, it's just my accent. I know what I'm saying. I thought you were saying like just... Mahershala. I thought like, oh no, man. We, we need get... Do you know what his actual full name is? Can we have a pop at it? Because it's like, it's ludicrously you can, long. You can have a pop at it. Let me just, just have a quick... You just had a pop at me for saying it when you... I thought I was saying it. No, because like, I, could, I could almost forgive you for getting the, the full name, uh, you know, a little bit incorrect because um, it is far, far longer than 
I'm just stalling here. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I'm looking. Right, so this is the the phone. He's known as Mahershala Ali, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but his uh, given name is Mahershala Hashbaz Gilmore. Um, which actually isn't that hard now. I say it, but I mean, it just yeah, looks um, hard on paper. <laughs> <laughs> Gilmore. I can say that Gil. Oh, yeah, cool. that, that part's Nailed pretty it. easy. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was going to say on a, on a slightly sort of weird tangent because you you sent me this. Um, and I know I, you don't. I don't think you hate comic book movies. I just think that you've been oversaturated by them. Yeah, no, but, I love some of my favorite. Watchmen is my favorite film of all time, which is a graphic novel movie. I love Sin City. I'm just I'm sick to fucking death of them. That's what it is. So so when this film or when I was making notes for this to do with it winning best original screenplay. We've we've spoken about it before on this podcast, and obviously outside of it, just like chatting about films and stuff. The, the Hollywood just seemed to have run out of ideas, and they either just reduced Ghostbusters that we mentioned the other week briefly. Let's just redo something that already exists. Nobody makes anything. This is a really interesting, compelling story that they've done that was really well thought out, and it ended up winning an Oscar. But there was a quote this week from Stalin Skarsgård, who was replying, well, not replying directly, but replying in... Is this the one that I tagged you in? Yeah, well, you're not going to take credit for this. I fucking tagged well, you in this. I'd already seen it before. I messaged you no, okay, before, yeah, yeah. but it was to do with um, Ridley Scott obviously saying that they're all garbage and millennials can't pay attention anymore, and they're all on the phones because all of his fil- his films are bombing. Preach, so he was preach, sort of going crazy about it. Um, which I I kind of agree with him, but I also think that he's a bit wrong. However, Stalin Skarsgård, like you mentioned, you might be able to sum this up better than I can, but. The whole idea of original screenplays and stuff, he was just saying that the state of cinema is in such a way. He was in those comic book films because he's in like the Thor films and stuff. But at the same time, he wants more original screenplays. And it's because the like the landscape of like production houses and stuff are all commercial now and they've been taken over and it's all about the bottom dollar and it's not about like your indie cinemas or your independent films or screenplays. So yeah, I just thought it was interesting just because we've mentioned it and it happened this week and we were both talking about it just to bring it up, but we both agree with uh, Stalin Skarsgård's uh, opinion on that one, I believe. Yeah, he looks like my mate's dad as well. It's like he could, <laughs> he could be his double. He's got so. like about a million kids. I mean, this is obviously a very big exaggeration, but he's got a lot of children and about, what, four or five of them are all like big-timey actors now as well. well he clearly has a good high genes. sex drive. <laughs> good genes. Yeah. Um, cast. You want to do the cast? I'll let you do the cast. I can probably only do four because it is. It's. A, it's. Um. In terms of central characters, it's a small cast. Um. You've got Mahershala Ali who plays uh, Professor Don Shirley mm-hmm. or Doctor Don Shirley. You've got uh, Viggo Mortensen, uh, pro- arguably most famous for being the Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He's not done a, not done a right lot else other than that. I'm, I, I, I can't really blame him. Well, you, yeah, uh, he was also in, what was the, the kind of like apocalyptic thing, The Road? Uh, was he in that? What is it called? Anyway, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, you've got uh, Linda Cardellini, who seems to be kind of a, 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 a favourite of this podcast. We kind of keep yeah. coming back to it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, episode two, The Founder, go check that out. I think we mentioned him in something else. We bring her up every now oh, and again. It's usually you. In the, in the <laughs> terrible one that you made us do, that Keenan and Kel movie. She was oh, in yeah, that. Oh, yeah, she's in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. She might be, you know, like if you do like, it's not the seven degrees of bacon, but maybe if you do like the three degrees of Linda Cardellini <laughs> between episodes of this podcast, like she'll just appear in every other episode. Yeah. Maybe we could get her in as a guest. I don't think I'd be able to control myself. We couldn't do that. I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan of Linda Cardellini. I don't know why. Fangirl. Um, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, and um, the other only other one I think I could get really is uh, Nick Vallelonga, 
who uh, I think he plays a character called is it Augie? Uh, but he, he actually wrote the. Oh, he's, he's, he's his own, isn't it? Yeah, he's he wrote Tony Stone. Yeah, he, he's yeah. That, he wrote the screenplay or partially wrote it, and he's actually Tony Vallelonga's real life son. Yeah. So um, only fact I have really. I know this is normally the film fellas area, but uh, how some, dare you? Some of the um, the paraphernalia, for example, that he wears a necklace was actually Tony yep. Vallelonga's. Uh, I hope I'm not pissing I didn't on put your that parade. I thought you were going to think that that was boring, so I didn't actually oh, include no, I think that. But there you go. It's a cool kind of real world meets. Um, fictional world um, in a mutually beneficial kind of uh, uh, manner, which I think is pretty cool. But that, that's, yeah, I don't know about anyone else. To be honest with you, neither did I, but I did recognise the record exec who's given him the rules at the beginning. So it's a guy called PJ Byrne, who just is, is credited as record exec. You will most famously recognise him from The Wolf of Wall Street. He's one of the guys who's got the glasses, he's a little bit nerdy, um, who sort of, you know, because they're all on drugs and going a bit crazy and stuff like that. So, like, he sort of, it, it, it's it's funny in some sense because obviously he just becomes, like, this crazy person during that film. But he's he's in this as a comedian. Uh. Yeah, same with you. I, they're the only people that I really recognise, mainly because a lot of the Valonga family, Valonga even, mainly a lot of the Valonga family are casting this. So, apparently he, because um, obviously Nick is his son, like he just sprung it on Farley and uh, Vigo um, just one day, like the very final scene in this. <laughs> well, mate, when you keep saying, you keep calling him Vigo, I'm thinking of fucking Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters. You know, in the fucking painting. <laughs> yeah, it's not that Vigo. guy. <laughs> but yeah, he, he apparently just cast loads of his family without even like bothering like to tell them until like the day before or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, they're all going to be in this scene. A little bit of nepotism. So yeah, so most of the cast is basically people I don't really know that, you, you know, they're not mega famous people. I think the people that are part of his uh, trio, like his musical trio, are people that they cast because they had some background in comedy but could also play those instruments. The one fact that I didn't get, actually, before we move on to facts in a bit, is I actually didn't find out whether Mahershali can actually can play the piano or not. I think they CGI'd. Um, uh, Mrs. Beard asked me this, actually, because there's a scene at the end um, where he's in the orange something. The bar, there's a bar at the end. Orange, yes, what's yes, it called? yes, yes. Something, orange, orange bird? Something like that, yeah, yeah. And he plays a little bit of... Um, Jazz, I think, which is not his. Um, anyway, I don't want to spoil that scene because that's a, a big part of the film. But um, you can see his, it's the first time I think in the film you can actually see his hands mm-hmm. doing it. And I think I read that that's a CGI, uh, two CGI hands, basically. Well, I'm glad you remembered to check that because that was the one thing where I thought we're going to get to a point where we're talking about how amazing this guy is as a pianist and, and whatnot. Pianist, even. And, pianist. Uh, yeah, pianist. <laughs> anyway, pianist. But um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't check. So we'll go with that. We'll we'll go with the CGI. Um, but you know, you know what time it is. No, what time is it? It's it's time for your favorite game. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so you ready for the jingle? I'm ready for it. Here we go. I have to get him in one day to do it live or something like Just that. Just in the corner, like an unplugged version. <laughs> you know, like a, like a really terrible chat show, you know, where the band's just at the side for most of it and the camera just pans to him, like, chuckling at, like, the actor on the sofa making a joke. It'd just be him. We'll just stick him on the sofa and back. Um, but, yeah, budget and box office. So this is an Oscar winner. So, it, it, you know, 
I say, I say this every week, right? Like, I've got no idea, but I've been, generally speaking, pretty close on most occasions. I think this is probably going to be, be the the furthest I've ever been away because I've got no idea because I think this cast probably pretty cheap. There's not really much. It's beautifully shot, by the way. The colour is amazing as well. But um, there's not much in, in, in the way of, other than some CGI piano hands, um, that, that's really that, you know, expensive. But things the way they are, I want to say 50 mil for the, uh, budget and I don't. Re- I remember it getting like kind of critically. It was really well received, but there were a lot of negative reviews about this as well, and a lot of people kind of making the whole driving Miss Daisy argument and stuff. Um, so I don't know if it was that much of a killer at the box office. Uh, I didn't see it first time around when it was first released, so I'm gonna say one fifty mil. <sighs> Sorry to disappoint you, but you know I knew either of those. So you went 50 to begin with, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, $23 million is the estimated budget for this film. Can which, as, as a little fact, um, when they were going around with a screenplay and were trying to ask for studios, can, can you know, like fund this film, um, studios were really, really reluctant to give them any more than $5 million for it. However, Farley believed that you know to make a period piece, you would need considerably more money to make it more believable, which... Good, good job they actually got the money because it got them the Oscar. And then for the box office, um, it returned globally 321.7 million. <sighs> Absolute killer, this then. Yeah, so it did really, really well in terms of that old, you know, what we always say about the, the marketing and all that. That could be the best on. performing one yet in terms of actual like budget to box office ratio. Yeah, possibly. I'm just trying to think back. Um, I know when we did Venom, that earned a big box office, but I'm pretty sure the budget was in, like half of what the box yeah, office also was. Also, fuck Venom. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, does that, does that come to a shock to you? or? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think I was probably so far off. Just There's very little to base it on. Normally you've got factors of like, are there any kind of big A-listers in that are going to command a big packet you know are there any is there vast amounts of cgi and if there isn't unless it's clearly a very low budget indie movie it's like maybe like five mil or like 10 mil for me it's hard so i'm thinking because it looks so good i was thinking like 50 mil ish um but i mean that's 20 million to me that's and it's easily slips right in um to my top 10 films i don't know where probably towards the bottom part of that list but mm. it is one of my favorite films well, it's when i was looking on imdb it's rated or it's ranked due to its oscar winning um 136 of everything that's on imdb pretty impressive in the history for, of ever for, for 20 well yeah for, for whatever they've got on there so thousands of films um and yeah for 2018 fairly recent to to shoot up to 136 pretty good isn't it yeah not bad um we'll do some facts um i did mention to you off podcast and i'm obviously now going to mention it on podcast so everyone else can hear <laughs> obviously <laughs> that we have some more facts that are related um because there is a lot of food in this there isn't just like one guaranteed food scene there's quite a few and there's quite a lot of facts happily that marry up with them so i've got some facts that are just sort of random anecdotes and facts to do with the film and then some more interesting food related ones that we will talk about within the food scenes okay like a good deal i mean you don't have to lay out the framework for me but yeah okay (laughs) i'm just well we're on episode 20 now i feel like if you if you got this far you probably (laughs) probably get whatever this waffle of rambly stuff is at this point yeah you also probably need like lots of medical help Uh, we'll start a support group. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I thought you'd quite like this one. 
So prior to filming, Viggo Mortensen was invited to Nick Vallelonga's house, who, as we mentioned, is the son of Tony, for a six-hour dinner. He said, it almost destroyed me because I hadn't gained the weight yet. I hadn't expanded my stomach. It was almost lethal. When the family assumed he was declining more helpings because he didn't like the food, he felt compelled to finish his plate. But every time he finished a plate, they brought him another one. I said goodbye. We did a picture together. I limped to my rental car and I made a big show of, oh, I'm driving back to Manhattan. And I drove around the corner, parked the car, leaned my seat back, undid my belt and laid there for an hour just groaning. See, now we're in my territory. If the Balalongas are listening, I mean, I would love to come over to your house and uh, eat a bunch of Italian food because it all looks delicious. But, I mean, fair cop to uh, to Vigo for, uh, you know, um, seeing it out there and uh, I'm just resting in his car and not, like, do- doing anything, like, uh, taking some Ipecac and, like, <laughs> throwing up everywhere. Um, he's, he's, a, yeah, he's a true champ. Trooper, and it? I mean, a lot of these facts, um, as you're going to discover in a second, are just Vigo complaining about his diet, <laughs> which is it's quite entertaining. And obviously, we've got the, the parallel of, you know, how would you deal with that? Or have you been there? So, you know, it'd be quite interesting to see, you know, if, if you could handle some of the stuff that he went through. <laughs> it's quite um, it's quite an interesting thing as well. I think that's a strong part of the characterization of him is that you you kind of drawn to his humanity, aren't you? Because he's just one of those blokes that loves food. I mean, yeah. it's it's typically the case amongst Italian American culture anyway that people love to eat, right? And it's a big social bonding session. Mm-hmm. But Tony in particular just fucking loves grub. <laughs> he's always pretty much always eating. Um, but it, it's uh, close to Brad Pitt in uh, Oceans, where he's just constantly eating. It's very close to just yeah. every other scene, just seeing yeah. him eat. <laughs> right, fact number. Too. So, upon the film's release, the Shirley family stated that Tony and Doc were not friends. They had an employer-employee relationship. However, in January 2019, audio recordings of an interview with Don Shirley were discovered in which he stated, I trusted him implicitly. You see, not only was Tony my driver, we never had an employer-employee relationship. You don't have time for that bullshit. My life is in this man's hands, so you've got to be friendly with one another. So... It says at the end of this film, and the, the implication of obviously that tagline that I mentioned and stuff is that these people become good friends. But yeah, apparently going into this and when this film was like made, they, they thought that that part of this film was like an embellishment. Turns out it possibly wasn't. Like it was, it was very true that they were good friends, you yeah, know, during to, and after. To give context, a little bit of context, because we do have a habit of deep diving into these things. And although we did mention uncharacteristically in the last episode that we would be doing this this week in case you wanted to watch <laughs> and then, you know, enjoy the Just journey. Just in case people haven't. Yeah, and I, I realise almost certainly nobody did that. But um, to give it context, it kind of starts out like, um, of course, it discusses, opens discourse with this this idea of, um, of, of racism and prejudice. That's the idea of the film, right? But it's based in humanity. So you've essentially got... Tony was this kind of everyman. He works as a bouncer at a club, uh, but he's kind of a lovable character, family man, you know? Yeah. Um, but he is, um, it's suggested that in the, I think the open, or one of the opening scenes that he's a, he's a racist bloke by his own admission. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two uh, black guys. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they're repairing something in the kitchen um, and he puts, they drink from two glasses, which is his wife, Dolores offers them and he then throws these glasses in in the bin mm. rather than washing them and that's you see his wife look with disappointment thinking oh Tony you know come on now and um it's a it's essentially about through this journey with 
taking Don Shirley through these states, um, they, they both kind of learn about a bit about each other's prejudices. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, it sounds kind of corny, but you get this really kind of true friendship at the end and they're both better people for it. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. That, that, that was, was pretty good. That, 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 that was, that was, that was really quick. good. We need a little round of applause button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should end up with more jingles than actual like podcast related talk on it. Um, but yeah, no, I couldn't have summed that up any better. That is exactly what this film is. And like by the end of it, I, I, I was feeling a little bit emotional. Maybe it's because it was sleep deprived a little bit. I was watching it very late at night and I was just like, I need to go to bed, but I, I need tissues as well. <laughs> you all, Yeah, I, I, I remember watching this originally. I was on the plane back from uh, New Orleans, I think. Um, and I was watching it on the plane, and I am not an emotional man. You know this about me, right? Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, probably I count on yeah. one hand the amount of times I cried in my life. And at the end of that movie, I was like, <laughs> and there's people across from me, and I'm like, I can't cry in front of these people. But I got a little emotional at the end, not to the point of tears, but at the point where you know, you're know getting that lump in your throat. Um, and that's actually what ties... A lot of people don't think of this as a Christmas movie, but people forget that it's actually an eight... The film takes place over an eight-week... Uh, time frame where they they are arriving hopefully back on christmas eve mm-hmm. and you know to, to arrive to their christmas dinner kind of thing and that's that i think that kind of punctuates it right that exclaims the fact this is a really emotional moment you know yeah no i i, I just loved it i loved all of it um we'll do some more facts though i was trying not to try not to get bogged down so you mentioned earlier that um his son um is it nick is that nick? that's who yep. yeah yeah i just realized i haven't got it here but nick is um sort of has acted, has been in things, and is obviously in this film as well. Well, the real Tony Lip is best known for playing Carmine Lupatazzi on The Sopranos in 1999. Um, it was a, it, I think he was a reoccurring role, like he was in it throughout the entire You realise the word is recurring, not reoccurring. You drop the O and you add a little <laughs> hyphen. Recurring. <laughs> You're starting to sound like... Uh, Don Donald Shirley in this. Well, it's funny you should say that because I watched this. I, I under persuasion. I remember trying to get Mrs. Beard to watch because I have watched this so many times now. Um, but now it's kind of like a Christmas tradition, you know. Like I watch it. Um, and I got Mrs. She was like, oh, I don't really want to. It sounds a bit naff. Uh, but then when, when we were watching, she was just laughing all the time. Not unlike in planes, trains, and automobiles last week because she was just saying like how she was like in our relationship. I she she was saying that she. Is Tony, Tony Lip, a bit rough around the edges, a little bit simple in sensibilities, and I'm a little bit of a knob, aloof, like correcting a grammar all the time, and you know, addiction and, and all that. Yeah, which well, incidentally is my favorite line. That's my favorite line in the film. You know, he says we, we could finesse your addiction, and he says addiction like how? And he says, well, Tony, in, in the only word, the only way the word <laughs> yeah. is ever used. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that bit as well. But um, he wants to be um, his his own man, doesn't he? And he just like refuses the help. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm keeping interrupting your facts, come on. <laughs> well, anyway, he played him in The Sopranos, and he also appeared in several of Martin Scorsese's movies. Um, so he played Frankie in Goodfellas, he played Philly Lucky in Donny Brasco. Um, also, as a, an additional sort of addendum to this fact, yeah, I hope you like oh, that word, there you go. Oh, uh, Vigo Mortensen would play Tony Lips' The Sopranos episodes in the background whilst getting ready in the morning to get his rhythms of speech and accent. He fucking nails the accent in this, because I've seen an interview with him actually where he said he, he was really conscious because obviously if you do an impersonation or an impression of something like Maletto that like, we just mentioned earlier <laughs> exactly right there's a there's a, a habit that you're going to get you're not going to do you know it's going to be really hard to do that person without doing a caricature so like if I ever do a Scouse accent I'll be like you're right me Stevie Jarrett that's not how Scousers talk right <laughs> But like, so he said that like he didn't want to do because he, he was really conscious of the fact that he was gonna feel like disrespectful. So, but he absolutely nailed. You wouldn't even know that he's not from New York, you know. No. Well, I think he um, he moved to New York, didn't he? 
from because he lived in Argentina for a bit and then he ended up moving to, to New York. So he's been around the areas where he'd been able to pick up the dialect and accent and stuff. He was asked about his go-to meal to gain weight and he just said it was just Italian food. So it was a lot of pizza and a lot of pasta, but it was mainly never saying no to a second or third helping. <laughs> <laughs> Never not trying all of the desserts. He said he was smashing the gym too. And you can kind of see because yeah. he's got that kind of, uh, they call, it's a little bit of a, a slightly more hench version of a dad bod, right? Like a barrel chested sort of yeah, bloke. He's, he's, yeah, he's thick, right? Apparently they st- at the table read, they, I, I saw this story where, where it's like an interview where uh, Mahershal Ali and Vigo are being interviewed. I love how we're calling Vigo like we're best mates. <laughs> <laughs> we might be after this. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but he was, uh, um, uh, Mahershala Ali was saying um, when they went to the first table read, um, Vigo Mortensen came in with like fucking four pizzas and just smashed them on the table. I'm like, man, I would love that. That that kind of, I keep saying that somebody give me an acting job, but if it was one way you had to gain weight for it, I'd be like, I'd be there in no problem. People say, oh, it's so hard. I'd be like, nah, man, no problem. (laughs) You never know. You You should put yourself down and see if anyone... If there's ever a film that's got an eating competition, it could be like just a, like one of the competitors or something well, like I could, that. I could have been in this film, yeah, couldn't yeah, I? Yeah, like this could be, we'll get contest. to it. Um, so obviously he said that he preferably ate the biggest meal um, with a full complement of desserts and appetizers just before lying down to go to sleep. So this is just all before <laughs> he went man. to bed. <laughs> um, as I just mentioned, to do with Vigo moving from Argentina as a, as a kid, sort of like as he'd grown up and he moved back to America, he moved sort of areas where there the were Italian-Americans like around New York and stuff. So according to Peter Farley, Vigo Mortensen was uh, surprisingly, as you mentioned, insecure about doing the accent because he, even though he was conversationally can speak Italian, he was worried that, like you mentioned, that he would sort of mess it up. But Mortensen insisted on gaining the weight to better get into the character, even though Farley told him it was unnecessary and he looked nothing like the real Tony Lip anyway. So... He sort of took on all of that of his own accord. Again, like very, very method <laughs> in his methodology, isn't he? Yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of a quite a convenient excuse to say to like <laughs> your family, whatever. Like, why are you getting so far? Oh, it's just for a role, you know, like <laughs> I've got to do it. Um, this film is also, I don't know if you knew this, dedicated to Larry the Crow. Um, it was a bird that hung around the shooting location and Vigo cared for the animal after it was hit by a car. Larry the Crow. Larry the Crow, which sounds like a mobster name, to be honest. <laughs> but it was probably just a crow that was, you know, got hit by a car. And... He got whacked by Larry the Crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty R.I.P. Larry, though. I mean, he got, did, did he actually survive the crash? Then, or? Just as dedicated to, so I don't know so where he cared not, for it, so we, we have no idea. Cared for it in its <laughs> moments before passing on to Crow Heaven. For he ate it. Or Crow Hell, if it was, in fact, a Crow mobster. <laughs> I was going to say before he ate it, but <laughs> he I mean, probably, probably I don't didn't know how do crow that. would taste. Sinewy, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, he did so much eating on camera that he claims to have not eaten any of the catered food on set and would retreat to his trailer during lunch to lie down and undo his belt. Um, I couldn't tell you what the catering was. I heard the catering was great. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that, man. I was thinking, like, I mean, if you had to do more than one take, he's pretty much always eating. So if you had to, like, do re- retakes of when he's eating the sandwich or the pizza or whatever, you'd be thinking, shit, this dude's eating tons of food. Well, speaking of always eating, he had to constantly stay on his fattening diet to maintain his weight during filming after learning that even eating normally during his weekend off meant his pants no longer fit him when he came back to work. <laughs> just, he's just brilliant. 
So you were talking uh, as well just a minute ago about that table read. So apparently in the first production dinner, uh, Vigo, like we've just shortened it to Vigo, just got Mahershala oh boy, Vigo. And, uh, Vigo. He um, excitedly presented a selection of crucifixes and jade rocks to Peter Fowler. Pete, I found a perfect jade rock. Fowler used that stone in the movie. So he just turned up and just dumped a lot of stuff. <laughs> like pizzas, jade rocks. That's crucifixes. the one that he, uh, he nicks, right? He, he steals that in the film. He does, yeah. Um, and Don Shirley, as, as, in, as part of his um, rehabilitation program for Tony, uh, enforced, tells him to put the rock back, Tony. He's like, it's, no, it's just a rock I got on the ground, but it's actually next to a decorative rock Yeah, it's store. like um, gems, gemstones and stuff like that. Yeah. We haven't mentioned, but he gained 20 pounds for the role as well, which we'd, we'd not talked about. Like, I feel like we skated over all the things that he did, but we didn't actually mention how much weight he gained. That's not that much. I mean, it, obviously it's a lot of weight, but I mean, given how much bigger he looks in this than almost anything else I've seen him in, there's not that much. Mm. I mean, still, don't get me wrong, he still looks way bigger and like yeah. too big. Like, he's obviously overweight in this film, but like it, he carries it well. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he's a, he's a powerful man. Yeah. <laughs> Final fact, just because we both like a bit of footy, you know, the English kind, like the, the proper kind. Sorry, guys. I don't think Americans call it footy. Opposite <laughs> 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 footy. Um, in the hotel room scene, or one of the many hotel room scenes, I'm presuming once I describe this, you'll know which one I'm talking about. Some graffiti appears on the wall to the right of Tony's head. It says C S A L D A, Castle D A, clearly written. And it's his favourite soccer team. So Vigo's favourite soccer team is Club Atletico San Lorenzo de Almagro in the Argentinian Premier League. So, I mean, our boy Mar- Marcelo probably knows him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ultras. Again, not really. Our boy, all boys, but... ultras versus the <laughs> Club yeah. Atletico Ultras. I, so, how long did he spend in Argentina then? Was he there like a lot of his life? I think he grew up there for some time, yeah. Um, I, I didn't get much more in the way of details. I, I didn't even know this until I was looking into it. And apparently, as well, his wardrobe in this film contains many red and blue striped shirts, which is also a tribute to that football team. That is cool. That is a cool. That's a, you got there in the end. That was Bing. a fact. Worthy and that's, of. That, that is the last fact of of this section before we talk about like the film and the food and stuff. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or should we just go into the next bit, bit of film chat, and then we'll do food? Wrap yeah, it up. L- let's let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. that. Sounds good. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? There we go. That was the no chug transition. <laughs> as we, I noticed as we like because there were no chugs at the end. <laughs> Chugs and no chugs. Um, yeah, so is there anything just in general, like fun things or interesting parts of this film that you want to talk about before we talk about the food stuff that everyone's oh, here man. for? I could talk about this movie till the cows come home. But it's don't just, do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, don't worry, I won't. It's, it's kind of cold in here. Um, but um, yeah, no, I just I think it's just a great... Like, if you haven't watched this film and you... I, I get it, because sometimes you look at the blurb of a film and you think, especially if you're, if you're into like your high-octane action movies or horrors and stuff like the things like this might pass you by but it's an incredibly relevant film a very wholesome film and a film which discusses a lot of very important ideas um without kind of trying to preach to you about them you know so it's just really it's a really funny film in parts it's a really um kind of heartwarming film um and it's just really well done it's paced amazingly it's shot beautifully like it just looks great it's like i said it's, there's nothing to dislike about about this film and like it's act, acted incredibly well as well i mean marshall ali's amazing in this and he dresses like i, I said to uh, mrs beard i was like look i don't wear suits but like if you want to buy me some suit if i could look like don shirley 
Like I'll I'll start wearing suits because he's just so sharp in this film. Um, it's every video going forward for you, each. <laughs> I don't think people will buy it. Like I just if I don't dress like an eight year old, then people aren't going to buy it, right? But um, not, there's nothing in particular. I mean, if you call out some scenes, I could probably probably have a laugh about them. But like, I'd- it's not so much scenes. It's just like right. So you you just mentioned, and obviously we've mentioned in great detail at the start of this podcast that it's uh, basically a, an early two thousands comedian sort of producer writer director that has done this film so you just mentioned it's a really funny film it's not funny in the conventional sense it's all dialogue driven like none of it's like slapstick haha dumb and dumber type jokes it's just the way that those two different worlds and those two different characters interact with each other that makes it funny Um, yeah because they're they're both from like the whole point is like don shirley is not just characterized as a black guy I mean, let's get that straight. The whole point of this film is that Don Shirley is a is a black guy, but he's living in a time when pr- predominantly the middle class black Americans are are kind of gradually increasing social mobility, right? And they're able to now buy cars and things like that. Whereas perhaps earlier historically they weren't able to. But he's still kind of an outcast because he, he says himself in the film, "If I'm not, there's a big kind of crescendo oh, yeah. of a scene where he Excellent says, if I'm scene. not, if I'm not white enough for these people, and I'm not black enough for my own people, what am I?' Right? Because the whole point is that people look at him odd because he'll go to like, there's a scene at the Orange Bird at the end. He goes and he's suited and booted, and he's dressed in a tux or something. And of course, all these um, more, I guess, working class uh, black Americans um, are looking at him like, you know, he's out of place, bit of an alien. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's, a, it doesn't really. It, it, explains his history a bit in terms of his mum got him into playing the piano and stuff and he got some kind of scholarship which meant that he was the first I think he says he was the first black American to be accepted into X I forget the institution but some kind of really top-notch music school so he's kind of like part of the upper the upper middle classes really in in America Mm -hmm. which is why he does all these concerts and and whatnot Um, but because of that it's there's an interesting kind of interplay because he's He's almost looking down on on uh, you know Tony Lip's character a lot of the time because yeah. he's like I said a bit rough around the edges you know he's he's it's in some sense he's got questionable morals and stuff like that and his habits are a bit um uh yeah a bit a bit wonky let's say mm-hmm. and that's what makes it funny because it's kind of like a buddy movie right and there are things that are funny about it which you don't necessarily expect that's the best way to put it yeah. I think yeah um and sort of like going into that it's not specifically about their relationship but I just really enjoyed there is a part in this that that is used both very early on um before the evolution of Tony's character and then at the very end um when he's become this different guy um so like just just no spoilers but like for the reference of the beginning of the film he doesn't like the other members of the trio and he sort of tolerates Don Shirley but obviously there's still some underlying like he's clearly thinking about he takes him a, a job by the way because he needs money doesn't he we, yeah, we so left that he loses his job at the copa which is a big yeah. club where he plays a heavy he's well paid but mm-hmm. he's got a family he's got kids wife etc yeah um and he, t- he takes this job because it's well paying even though he's going to be away from his family on the road for eight weeks um because he needs the money so he doesn't really want to be there they're not his kind of people yeah. and he, he just despises the other two members of the trio for whatever reason um <laughs> and it, it, yeah well this is this is what i'm getting at this is German. a comedy you, well, so so like at the end scene in the restaurant he's he's changed the final venue before the you know before everything wraps up and ties up um and he's speaking to this guy again but throughout the film it calls back to the same jokes he thinks that the russian guy <laughs> He's German to the point where he goes, oh, he's speaking German to the point where Don tells him, no, that's Russian. And then he starts talking about, oh, you've got to be careful around. I think he says those krauts or something like that. Yeah, you to can't do not say that. To, well, obviously in the context of the time, he's on the back, so he was in the war, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, he's like, you know, we, we can't trust him, blah, blah, blah. And then 
fast forward into the end of the film where he's talking to him. It's just a very subtle one-off line. It's just really just, just it's beautifully put in and you wouldn't notice it if you weren't paying attention. But they do a cheers with like shots of vodka and I don't know what the Russian like cheers is, but they do that. And he goes, Dankeschön. <laughs> just like, I was in stitches. I was like, and it's getting to this really deep, um, not dark, but like the the impetus of, of the film, the reason that Don Shirley has gone on this tour, um, you know, that that crucial part of the film yeah. where it's leading to. But just before that, that happens. And I'm just like, <laughs> you beautiful man. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's brilliant. So it, that that is basically in a nutshell, this this film and the way that the comedy works in it. It's not, yeah, but um style yeah. stuff. It's just subtle stuff with dialogue but we've already mentioned that um we could we could literally spend all day talking about this but the whole point of this podcast usually although for a couple of weeks he's not been because there hasn't been as much food in this one there's tons so shall we do the food scenes in order of how the food scenes yeah are we better. In the film? Let's, let's make it snappy so in regards to the food scenes it starts off um I guess you could count it as food. I know we've mentioned before, you've gone, oh, it's got calories in it, it's food. Um, he, he just grabs full full bottle of milk, like a yeah. big macho man, and just in one gulp, all gone. Yeah, this is after he's chinned some bloke, right? And yeah, he turns out to be a, 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 like an important mobster. He chins some dude in, in a club. Uh, he comes home, goes to bed, wakes up. First thing he does is he smashes, a, a I don't know, a, a litre of milk. And then he goes over, starts tinkering with his wife's cooking, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, he just can't, he can't stop himself, can he? Weirdly enough, I wouldn't have included it. I've just mentioned it as one of those, you know, like I've said before, like we've got to mention every bit of food because someone's going to be like, you've missed a bit. So it was going to be that, but there is actually facts related to the milk. Oh my God. So the scene where Tony Lip is drinking milk could be a reference to the movie Rebel Without Cause from 1955. In the scene where Jim Stark, played by James Dean, is drinking milk and rubs his head with the bottle. So because he's just had that fight and he's using it like a meat slab or whatever you know like just to cool the bruising yeah like a compress Um, both scenes are exactly the same but also peter farley says that vigo mortensen as ever the perfectionist that he is insisted on doing the milk chugging scene three times because he wasn't happy with the way he was holding the bottle (laughs) man i bet his capacity was absolutely boss level when he gets the hot dog contest i bet he was actually eating that many that many hot dogs well here we go so hot dog competition scene so you mentioned this. This is the first time we ever talked about it. I I knew about the what we're going to get to shortly, the KFC chicken related stuff, but I didn't know that there was actually a food competition scene. So obviously, having the UK's number one competitive eater on this podcast, it makes sense for us to briefly talk about it. A bit of punditry, yeah. I can give so, like a critical analysis. So they go to Norman's. Yes. Don't know if that's a real place. Have you ever heard of Norman's? No. No? Okay. <laughs> They're not I think it's just like a circuit. fictional diner, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if it is. So it, he tries to make $50. Um, his friend or his brother tells him that it's the easiest $50 you'll ever make because apparently in his family is notorious for just constantly eating. Like, as we've observed in like the first five minutes of the film, he's yeah. a machine. So he turns around to the guy who he's going to be facing up against, who just apparently just sits in this place all the time, just waiting for challenges. I don't know. He's <laughs> a bit like an NPC, you know, like in an RPG, <laughs> like you're playing Skyrim, you, like go up quest. And you click on him and he gives you a fucking hot dog eating quest. <laughs> well, he, um, he turns around and he, I can't remember if it's his brother or it's his, his friend, but he says that 
Uh, Tony did 48 White Castle cheeseburgers in one sitting. Actually, his son comes with him and goes, he did 40, 48 White Castle burgers, and his son goes, cheeseburgers, so seeing referring that there's more to them than just regular patties. Just 48 White Castle burgers. Have you ever had White Castle? Because obviously we're going to do that film at some point, Harold and Kumar. I haven't, you know. Like, it's funny you should say that because somebody, because, you know, people think I'm still in New York, even though like I've been back <laughs> for like a week now. Um, somebody says to me the other day, oh, please do White Castle. Um, I've never had it, but I know that the, bur- I've seen the burgers before. They're like, I Slide mean, 48 would not be hot. Like, I know a guy, Pat Butterlet, you can like deep throat him. Like he could swallow wow. it mouth whole, you know, like... Isn't that like um, what people do with the hot dog competitions usually? No, I'm not whole, man. But like he's got a neck like a fucking drain pipe, so. Like a gullet, like a pelican. <laughs> it's like a bull's neck, you know? But anyway, like, I mean, I, that's still impressive though. I think 48, having seen them, it's, it's far better than average. They might have been a bit like more meatier back then as well. Because really? obviously, you know, like the, the faster produced now, so you might get less than you did back then. Just mm-hmm. saying, obviously, this is all fictional based on hearsay. But anyway, we're having fun. Um, so the record for the hot dogs in this competition is 18. What do you reckon about that? I, th- I thought it was kind of cool how he gets in and he goes, hey, hey, what's he called, the guy? I don't know. I can't is remember that, the name called, of the guy. called Tony. I know it sounds like a bit of a stereotype. Hey, Tony. But I think he's called Tony. He goes like, he's, hey, Tony, what's the, what's the record with, for hot dogs in the year? And he's and the guy's just like really matter of fact. Oh, it's like seventeen. Like it's like it's a normal thing <laughs> for cash. diners to have like a record for hot dogs eaten. And it's at that point it transpires. He says, "Oh, you know, he's going to go head to head with this non-player character in the corner of the room um, who just wants to have a bet. They bet fifty dollars, right? I don't know if they bet. F- oh, yeah, they bet fifty of their own money because he goes home and says to Linda Cardellini, "I had this bet." And she says, "Oh, you didn't lose money, did you?" Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a reasonable. What is it? Fourteen? Eighteen is the record going into it. Because they look like they look pretty small. They look smaller than say than a Nathan's hot dog. Right? They're not foot long dogs, you know. The buns look pretty small, but still, for you know, especially for back then, sixties, eighteen hot dogs from a, no- a normal person is is strong. Yeah, I mean, I won't be able to do it. Like I ate one hot dog last night before the the Leeds the football match went to Costco and got one of their like one pound fifty. I think it's one dollar fifty in America and one pound fifty, and it's been like that since like the nineties at Costco. But I had one of them. And that's just like a. Feels like a weird place to stop Costco. It's just it's around corner from football stadium. My mate needed to go do eh? some shopping. Costco, Costco, yeah. Which one? The, what? <laughs> We're just going off on a on a regional <laughs> conversation the here. There's only one in Leeds. Yeah, yeah. It's that's not in fucking Ellen Road. <laughs> it's just five minutes down road. Is Ellen Road like in a car? Yeah, in a car. I'm not, not well, walking. Well, I thought you'd like you used to run the corner. It's like a 25 minute walk or something. We're going to cut anyway. this anecdote out. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. And he then proceeds to eat the, the the hot dogs against this guy. I'm setting the scene because otherwise Jordan's going to ramble. So <laughs> it, it shows him kind of like going head to head. And this this guy's the, the, the guy that he's competing with is known for being, uh, you know, a really good eater. A real guy, apparently, as well. As yeah. in, like, historically knew his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he then gets home and remember he's lost his job, so he's in need of money. He says to his wife, Dolores, he says, he comes back, he's like, oh, it reminds me, me a little bit when I get home from filming. He's like, oh, and he like, kind of sits down and he looks a little bit worse for wear. She says, where you been? He says, oh, I bet this guy um, that I'd be able to eat more hot dogs than him. And she says, oh, Tony, you didn't lose money, did you? And he said, uh, yeah, well, I mean, this other guy, he said, oh, he ate 24, he's an animal. She's like, oh, no, you lost. And he's like, relax, honey. I ate 27 or something like that. Please. So, I ate 26. That's <laughs> the money out. Yeah, I've got line for line. Now, 26. Uh, that th- Those are some good numbers, in man. In an hour as well. Most hot dogs in an hour was the challenge. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, like, if you could if you could improve some speed there, 26 is a solid flipping number. You could be, uh, maybe you could have been the Nathan's champ back then because people were winning. It existed back then and people were winning it with, like, fucking 12 hot dogs or whatever. 
Well, he was 25 better than me. <laughs> and uh, as promised, there is a fact related to this. So vegan, yeah, vegan. A vegan Mortensen. <laughs> he, <laughs> he would be a great he ambassador for he the vegan community. Wasn't, he definitely wasn't vegan Mortensen. So Vigo <laughs> Mortensen really ate the hot dogs in the, it's not Normans actually, it's Gormans. My apologies, Gormans, <laughs> if you exist. Uh, the production crew provided him with a bucket. So obviously, as we mentioned before, actors, they don't eat the food because they'll be eating the food for several takes. So they just spit it out at the side, stick it in a bucket and they, you know, they get a fresh food or whatever put back in front of them. For this one, they put the bucket to the side for him to chew his bits in like, you know, between takes. But he found that even less appealing than just swallowing the hot dogs. So he ended up eating 15. What an animal, like on set. <laughs> yeah. I've got a newfound respect for Vigo, man. This is this is incredible. Considering the record back then, allegedly in this film was 18, the 8 15. I'm guessing it wasn't 15 in under an hour. I don't know how long it takes him to film. Like they might have had several scenes, but still eating, you know, just in every time he's come back and had to sit down and do it, he's eating another Presumably one. would probably have eaten as well that morning because he said he was scoffing all the time. I can't imagine <laughs> he was fasting before shooting, so... He probably already had a lot in the stomach. Right, well, we're going to hurtle towards, because I know that we, we need to get out of here sharpish. So we're going to, before we get to the next big scene, some food scenes slash references in between, because there's a lot of them. So you've got the the mob guys, or the mafia guys that you mentioned, because he, he punched that guy in the club at the very beginning. They shouldn't have punched, even though he sort of should have. They're kind of like bollocking for doing it, but then also bollocking because like that shouldn't have happened in the club. And it's like, well his jobs to stop it from like weird but the guy just from observation because there's a lot of food going on weirdly tony doesn't decide to eat with them which is strange considering the amount of food that he does eat but they're having like steak and it looks like spaghetti and clams or something like that they've got like, there's, a, there's of a lot of spaghetti, spaghetti going down the, going on, in this they're, film they're having a good time and whilst they're bollocking him um, and then the next scene that you've got is um linda Cardellini, dolores is giving sandwiches for the trip she gives him, I don't know, like some sort of subs out there. It looks like some kind of, it looks like a fried chicken hoagie style thing to me. Because it, it looks bad. It looks mm. like it has a crust on it. Mm. Um, but you don't really see it that clear, clearly. But he, I mean, like, he's well cultivated the technique of, of the bite, though. Because he does a bit of a kind of close-up. It's almost like a GoPro shot. He kind of just goes, <laughs> like, straight at the camera. That's why we needed a camera in the studio. But, um... So I, I just I just did it. I just emulated it. But um, yeah, he, 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 she packs him sandwiches and it looks like Lindsay's never made me a sandwich like that. Put it that way. <laughs> well, she makes one for Dr. Shirley as well. But as we mentioned at the beginning of this film, they don't quite get along. It's not that they don't get along, but obviously he's just, oh, this guy's annoying me. So, so even though she'd said there's a sandwich and it looked like he had saved him the sandwich because it's got his name on it. It's put a little tag on it and it's all wrapped up. Um, he then, after they've had like a little discussion in the car, I think he tells him off for smoking. He's like, so smoking, what's, yeah. what's the problem? It's my lungs doing all the work or something <laughs> like that. Uh, because he just doesn't understand that obviously he don't want the passive smoke in the car. So he puts it out because it's his job. But then he looks at the sandwich and he just picks it up and eats it anyway. So that's that's in there. <laughs> just which is just an animal. He's just, just constantly <laughs> eating. Then we get to the diner scene where he's basically... Uh, it's, He's clearly, Mahershali, uh, Don, Donald Shirley's kind of picked up on the fact that this guy's eating all the time. Yeah. Um, he's eating his food. <laughs> yeah, see him how it is. You all right? <laughs> I just, I'm recalling the line because he says, to me, how's the food? And he says, yeah, he's salty. And he's like, have you ever considered becoming a food critic, Tony? He's like, no, no, why is there money in that? Like, You've just got such a way with the words. So vivid, one could almost taste it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is it. He basically just goes in on him because of his, his eating and the fact that he just, you know, didn't even bother to. Do. He asked him what it was, and he was like, yeah, just "Salty," and that's but he, it. He makes a point, doesn't he? he? Says, "No, I'm just saying it's salty, and salt is the what he means by it. Salt yeah. is the prevailing taste, which he says, quotes, is cheating because all you can taste is the salt." Yeah, no, yeah. To be fair, yeah, he does round it out by saying, "Well, I kind of know what I'm on about." 
So he could have been a food critic. Um, and then there's that really funny, um, I ain't got the full thing, but obviously they're talking about, oh, my wife went and bought one of your, your albums. <laughs> it's the one with the kids on the front. And turns out that not kids. Orphans. Yeah, he thinks it's orphans. It's actually, is it Orpheus instead? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about demons being dragged to hell. <laughs> it's like... Uh, <laughs> it's somewhat like um, those must oh, be some naughty kids yeah <laughs> the last line is just oh shit they must have been naughty kids it's just yeah it's just but it's another one then where the worldly intellectual type that, that Donald Shirley is is just looking at him and like Mahershali's facial expressions in some some of these scenes he doesn't even have to say anything it's just that that pan kind of like tilt of the head how sort he of crack up you know yeah. I, I was looking at thinking like if I was doing this scene and I was um Mahershala Ali, I'd have been think it's just been cracking up all the time. <laughs> um some more some more random food scenes in between. Um, they're not necessarily food scenes, they're more references. So you've got the reference to he starts writing letters to his his wife because she's asked him and he's like, I don't I don't write letters. Like I can't I can't write letters. It's, it's not Lieutenant Dan, mate. <laughs> Come on, you got your access mixed up here. I'm not gonna attempt it. I don't want to offend anyone. But uh, basically he um he, he, he refuses initially, but then he obviously succumbs to it because he misses his wife because he's quite a loving sort of family man um, deep down. So that's writing these letters and they're kind of written in a way that it sounds like a five-year-old has written. All, it's like sentence by sentence. Like it, they're just not they're great. Be, they're supposed to be, um, to some degree it's implied, they're supposed to be romantic at least. Yes. But yeah, he's yeah. kind of a bit like, he's a foot in mouth. He says, Dear Dolores, I am eating real good. Yeah, the weather yeah, is nice yeah. here. And, you know, it's kind of like a really crap postcard. Yeah, if, if you've got like a, a school project when you're in primary school to tell people what you've done over summer and he's yeah. just done it as like a diary, but almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's like a love letter as well. But he mentions it, he's um, eating hamburgers mostly um, and because he says he's eating real good. And then he, he references that real good means that he's eating hamburgers most of the time, yeah. which is, you know, again, it's funny, but it's also showing that he's from a working class background, a bit different to him, probably can't always afford to eat these these foods out and about all the time. He's usually home-cooked meals, but instead he's eating on the road, he's getting paid for it all, it's all part of the expenses. So to him, he's eating really good, even though probably to Donald, he's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, later on, when there's the scene where he steals that gemstone that we'd mentioned that he finds on the floor, he gets an apple, which he gives to... He, he has an apple, but he also gets an apple for, for Doc as well, which yeah. I just thought it's clearly, obviously, must be a reference to just, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a very subtle kind of weird sort of directorial it's, thing. I think it's really the only time in the film he's eating anything you could call nutrient dense <laughs> um but yeah he, and he eats it like an animal as well he like does yeah he just eats everything like an animal um he mentions in another letter that he's having steak and eggs for breakfast um which again he's shocked he's like he says it in such a exasperated way like i'm yeah. having steak and egg every day um for my breakfast because again he's like a working class bloke and he's not used to that um he mentions in his letter it's not really food but he's saying that the doc drinks because uh he, he must be sad so he like, asks for a cut, bottle of cutty sock doesn't he in his room yes Yes, he just has one of them every day that sits on his chair and he's very fancy sort of loungewear, I guess. Just, this just motherfucker, I just, sorry, I just, sorry, I'm just <laughs> exclaiming my disbelief because I just Googled uh, Tony Valonga. Mm -hmm. He lived to 83 years old. Yeah, they, they both died in 2013, yeah. Uh, but like, imagine this kind of, this, so this, this, when you hear about like, you know, eating poorly and stuff like that, I'm not saying diet isn't important, it is, but this guy was eating like an absolute beast for most of his life and he's made it to 83 so you know there's no such thing as junk food that's what i'm getting at <laughs> <laughs> or just like eating apple message. every day <laughs> eating apple every day maybe that was the key 
Um, he also is eating spaghetti and meatballs whilst he's writing one of his letters, to which in his letter he writes that it tastes like ketchup on Chinese noodles. So he's not happy because obviously he has proper authentic Italian food at home and yeah. he's just eating crap on the road. Sounds like the ones from Jollibee. They're fucking awful. <laughs> but if you want to sponsor us, now, <laughs> now we're getting to... It sounds like we're rushing through this and it's because we kind of are. I did want to get for this particular scene because it's the one that I recognized before i'd even seen this film i've seen clips of it before was to get some kfc in you've probably all heard what a man eating kfc sounds like i know we've not had much food on this podcast for a while and it was kind of part of the the niche or the niche or the gimmick whatever you want to go with but we couldn't get any because we were under time constraints because beard has got don't, don't, don't bring any weird to this I, I, I would, i'm never gonna eat it like you, you just didn't bring any kfc <laughs> also we don't I'm have to rush too much I mean we've, oh, we, well actually we've been good at now <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm going to get some on the way home um, and I, I won't do what this scene is because I will you know I'll get some very angry people messaging me going you can't do that but I, I will I will get some on my ride um, back from Beard HQ but the start of this throwing scene, the chicken wings at you fucking <laughs> Renault <laughs> just launch them off the motorway <laughs> like the bananas in Mario Kart just you player <laughs> <laughs> But I, I like the beginning of this scene because he. Um, so it's the it's the KFC scene that we're talking about. If you've seen this film, arguably the the most iconic scene in the whole film. Mm-hmm. It's one of the. If you've not seen Green Book, but you have heard of it or seen something about it, you would probably have seen this. Scene. This is the one they always play on clip shows and yeah. stuff. And it shows the dynamic really well. Like yeah. if you've not seen the film, and you wanted to try and get a taste of it. Literally, it's, you could watch this. It's it's funny that this is the. You're probably going to say this anyway. I'm sure, but um, this is this is really the emotional turning point of the film. I think it's this show the connection for the first time because at this point they've like jordan says that they've kind of had a bit of an employee reluctant employee employer relationship and they're, they're both standoffish don't really get along that well but they bond over as so many people do the act of eating a greasy bucket t- 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 yeah, a greasy who doesn't like eating a greasy bucket right a big greasy wide open bucket and um <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah he, he um yeah t- tony's i mean i don't want to butcher it if you're going to do the same better than me but um he's in the front seat right he says to uh, doc shirley in the back he says oh, i've got this fried chicken and he's just scoffing it you know bafangul um with his hands and uh, he, he, he tries to, he, it shows also his prejudice though, because he says, you know, you people love fried chicken. Yes. And he says, well, no, yep. I've never eaten fried chicken mm-hmm. actually, so don't judge a book by its cover. Um, and the, he reluctantly kind of takes it because he's so often saying to him, just eat, eat the thing. Um, and he says, well, do you have utensils? Do you, you know, he's in the back of the car. Do you have a plate? Do you have utensils? I don't want to get it on my blanket. And then Tony takes the piss out of him saying, oh, I don't want to get it on my blanket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he partakes of it and he actually enjoys the chicken. And then he starts throwing the bones out the window. And then I'll, I'll let you take the... That's the, basically the scene in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, I just enjoy that as he's driving up to it before the scene starts. He obviously, you can't see what he's looking at um, until he's driven past it. He goes, KFC in Kentucky? When's that never going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he gets his Kentucky Fried Chicken from Kentucky. The funniest uh, part of that scene, though, is that, like, so he says, what, what do we do with the bones, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean... You, you'll have heard this as well. This scene is the, the intro tag for our, for this episode as yeah. well. But Tony Lip, he's, got, he's a clean eater, man. He, he mm-hmm. ain't leaving no debris on them, and he's, he's licked those cl- those bones clean, mm-hmm. and he launches them out the window, which kind of Don Shirley, he has a brief crack in his armor, and he, he laughs, right? He thinks oh, that's his first 
um, the first moment of weakness. Oh, this is what real life is. This is what it should be. Um, and then he says, <laughs> you know, as they're both in raucous laughter together, Tony picks up, is it his soda or is it the bucket? That's his soda. And he throws it out of the window, which is a paper cup, right? And then you see Don Shirley's face just kind of cast it iron. Stops. It just stops. He's got a brilliant, the comedic timing yeah, the and the, well. the camera sort of doing the, the cinematic focus where it sort of like soft focuses and then goes on to Mahershali in the back of yeah. him just pulling this face of like, they're both laughing to him just, and he just stops and he's, then he like, cuts to the it cuts to the car reversing back to pick up the litter which Tony has uh, left. So some of the lines that scene. Tony is saying as he reverses back as well. So he goes, oh, "Nature takes care of the earth," and he goes, "I was leaving it for the squirrels, Doc." <laughs> so trying to any excuse as to why, like you know, it'll be fine. Like just to throw a paper cup out. There is actually a fact to do with this scene. Nothing to do with the chicken, which was a bit annoying. Like you know, did did the the chicken? How many takes did they do? All like that. But this is the only on-screen drink that you can see Tony take that doesn't go in one gulp. So, like, he drinks, he <laughs> drinks, and everything else just disappears in one gulp, which is pretty funny. So if you go back and watch it, or if you haven't watched it and you watch it after this, have a look. <laughs> Yeah, you could give me one gift this this, this Christmas. Go watch this. I'm, go yeah, go no, do your homework. We go endorse watch this it. one a yeah. lot. Um, but yeah, that's it's an excellent scene. You've basically covered it all, and because we're, we're running low on time, we'll just move on. But um, it is, like, it encapsulates everything that you mentioned really well, like that that first stage of the actual bond between these two guys. Um, I loved it. I thought it was, it's funny, it's charming, it's, it's, it's just great. Uh, more random food scenes that are happening in between the sort of like the final two bigger food scenes. So you've got um, arguably one of the funniest scenes with no dialogue whatsoever in this entire film but as we've mentioned tony lip is a bit of a salt of the earth working class bloke um you know every time that he's finished his job for the day um unfortunately due to the the green book and how the states were he couldn't always be in the same hotel as don Shirley due to segregation and, and whatnot so he's in a separate hotel he's got his Looks like a margarita pizza or a pepperoni pizza. He's just got he's got his slacks on. He's got his white his vest. White beta vest. Yeah, yeah. He's just chilling. <laughs> Stained he's got, like he's got, like hanging out a little bit. Like he's just like proper schlobbing it out. Like he's yeah. He's just there. Gets his pizza. Looks at it for a second. Just folds it in half and just takes a bite out of it. Like a weird calzone gone wrong. When I when I watched, like I said, I was watching this on the on the plane on the way home. When he did that, I almost kind of wanted to stand up and say like, "Have you seen this? Look at this. Look at what's going on. It's amazing." <laughs> It's brilliant. It's just, it's hilarious for a scene that's got no dialogue at all. Do you think all. I could get in contact with Vigo and like, do you think he'd do a video with me? You know, like Benjamin with Babish gets like John Favreau and shit. Look, if, if any of these, uh, like I'm still surprised that you're doing this with me, but if any of these podcast episodes inspire you to go and pester some actors, please invite me along because- Vigo, I lad, I think, we, I think we get along like a house on fire. I still can eat. Um... One of the facts, as again, another another fact related to these food scenes, the pizza scene is drawn from a real life like event. Uh, so Nick Vallonga said that Tony Lip used to order a whole unsliced pizza pie, fold it and eat it. Upon hearing the anecdote, Vigo insisted they try and fit it into the movie. Peter Farley protested saying there were enough funny eating scenes already, but agreed to try it. When the crew burst out laughing, he agreed to leave it in the scene. <laughs> So obviously he must have just just it's added the, that in random like matter of factness of it. He's just kind of sat there like sits on the bed. Then from out of the corner of the shot, pulls his face, looks at it for a brief second, rolls it up, and just starts scoffing it. What it's great. Man. So and then obviously other things happen. Um, some quite 
sort of dark because the the way we haven't really mentioned it properly, but there are some aspects to it, as you would imagine, based on the states that they're in and the time period where some things do happen to Donald Shirley, where you know Tony Lippi's first encountering these problems and in some ways helping or dealing with them, in other ways learning from them and learning lessons. And yeah. after that scene, it does take a bit of a, a swerve. Um, you fast forward a bit to some of the gigs that they start doing at these like these very ranch country house sort of rich people sort of areas you know an actual plantation at one point yeah that that's the kind of the places that you're doing them which is obviously very you're supposed to feel awkward kind of watching it and understand kind of why he's chosen to do this tour in the first place because he's clearly you know sticking the middle finger up to him in a way um, and proving a point whilst also taking the money um, but at one of these, there is a pimento cheese sandwich that um, Tony Lip takes because obviously it's free food and he's, he's there, he's with the, the guest of honour. So he takes a sandwich immediately. <laughs> Again, absolutely hilarious. Takes a bite out of it. The guy's starting to walk away with a tray to go serve someone else. He doesn't like it. Doesn't spit it on the floor, which is what I thought initially he was going to do, which would have still been quite funny just to take it and do like a bit of disgust and just in the scene that he's in with all these rich sort of upper class people to be doing that. But he takes a bite out of it, spits it sort of into a tissue, taps the guy on the shoulder as he's about to walk away and just puts the tissue with the spat out sandwich and the bitten sandwich that he's just had back on the plate. Yeah, well, you goes, say, oh, it's not for me. You say he t- takes a bite out of it. The dude fucking deep throats that thing when he <laughs> stuffs it like pure to the back of his throat. <laughs> Uh, Only way to tell if you like it or yeah, not, I guess. I'm surprised it touched his taste buds. <laughs> um, within that, sort of like just after that as well, it goes to a dinner scene where they're again served fried chicken by, as we mentioned, because it's like a plantation area. All of the people working there, all the staff are, are black servants. And um, the, the guy who's invited them for this particular gig there sort of announces, even though he definitely didn't get in touch with him, he's like, oh, we got in touch with the good doctor and asked him what his favourite meal was and we've got fried chicken for everyone, homemade fried chicken, to which, like, that KFC scene has obviously come before this, so he has eaten it now, but before that, he'd never eaten it and it probably wouldn't have been his favourite food and it kind of implied that it's not his favourite food and that they've just assumed because... It shows, there's an initial reaction from... from, from Marshall Ali, who looks like as if with instant disdain that they've kind of, mm-hmm. you know, tarred him with the same brush as everyone. Oh, yeah, he's a black guy. He loves fried chicken. And then you kind of, you see that stiff upper, upper lip in him. He's thinking, right, I've got to fit in here. But that 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 whole trope kind of grows and grows throughout the, the rest of the film. And he starts to leading in the, the culmination of the final dining scene where he basically says fuck you to to all these racist people, which is great. Yeah. And then before that, he again has been helping Tony with his letter writing to make them be more romantic, I guess. Outside of Stuckey's? Yes. Yeah, so Which is Stuckey's. like the 7-Eleven of the South, I always think of it as. Yeah, it seems to be, because he's got like, um, it's sort of like on the sign mentions like, which is weird, you wouldn't go past a shop now, you know, in this time period or in general, past a shop where its main thing that he's selling is candied pecans or pecans depending on how you want pecans. to go down it pecans pecans if you're american i guess but yeah it's like a snack bar and like he mentions that he's eating potato chips which is crisps folks if you're yeah. from the uk um so that is all the the food in between stuff these are the final two scenes so as you've just mentioned there isn't really any food in it but it's the where's the restaurant scene so it's the final gig it's the 23rd of december i think they're in birmingham um in the deep uh, south uh, uh, uh. 
Birmingham. Yeah, not, not, Bir- not Birmingham. Not Birmingham. <laughs> Over here in the UK. But they, they go there. I've obviously already mentioned that him, he he goes into to sort of dress rehearse. He's been given this closet, like mop closet to as his dressing room um, as yeah. um, Don Shirley. So far, it's been quite cordial, hasn't it? You can see yeah. that like the, the, the white people who have, have booked Don to play these... He's actually a classically trained pianist, is what he says. Yeah. Um, but his record label make him play more pop, not pop in the sense of like I don't know, fucking Mariah Carey. Or something. Yeah. But he, he, play, he plays. Music yeah. Time. He play, I think he plays Happy Talk at one point. Happy Talky Talky. You know, he plays that. Um, but it's it's all been it's been awkward, but quite cordial. Mm-hmm. And then you know you can see him progressing to the more, um, I don't know how to put it, the the areas without the. Basically, where they're racism, on, they're clinging on more. Yeah, to, racism to the, is absolutely the right. Times, yeah, and this actually happens in what they call a sundown town, if you recall. Yes, which yes, is yes, absolutely yes. wild to think. Yep. In 1962, mm-hmm. there were places in America where black people had to vacate the town after before sundown, yeah, which you is could just get arrested. That's only 60 out. years ago. Yeah, it's insane. But, we didn't um, even mention that scene, but where we ain't got enough time. But that is also a terrible scene for what it's about, but also an excellent scene for the way they get out of it. Yeah, yeah. has to call uh, Bobby Kennedy. Doesn't he, he does, yeah. yeah but um, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, but um, what what I was getting at with that is that when the scene that you're going to mention, it occurs at the point at which they're really reaching the most racist people they possibly can. So yes. it's gone from being a, a they they the perception of Don is a bit awkward for him and the, you know his troop, but also but it's getting to the point now where it's come to a confrontation kind of thing. Yeah. And in that that scene, it ends up being that uh, they don't play the show. We should um, give that a little bit more. I know we, we we don't have much time, but yeah, yeah. we should give it context because at the beginning, the the his employer says to Tony, says we give you half now and half when you finish. So if you don't play any shows, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't get your pay packet at the end. You don't mm-hmm. get fifty percent of your pay basically. And the culmination of this, this is a spoiler. I got to mention it though because yep. it's the best part of the film. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah is this guy at the restaurant will not let Don Shirley eat in the restaurant, despite the fact that he's the the, the headliner. And all the people in the restaurant are people that have paid the money to see him. To see and him. are looking at him like having this argument with the... Uh, Maitre you know, D guy. Maitre D, that's the word I was going yeah. for, yeah. He says, we'll bring you some food in your closet. And then Don's getting a bit wound up by now. He says, either I eat in this restaurant or I'm not playing the show tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the Maitre D tries to get Tony to, quote, take, talk take sense into him. And then tries to bribe him. Tony's about to smack the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. And then Don comes in and says, stop, Tony. He says, I'll play tonight if you want me to. And then you're like, oh, right in the feels. Yeah, yeah. Because you think Tony's going to say, well, yeah, I want my money, so we're playing. But Tony says, nah, fuck you, mate. Let's they go. both bounce out of there. We, Don't get paid. Yeah, but, it, you know. is, it is that one moment where you're just like, oh, <laughs> these guys, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, whether whether that played out exactly the same way in real life, we don't know. But for, cinematically, it's just a, a beautifully crafted scene. Uh, you don't see much food in it, um, but they do go to, um, well, one of the lines that I really like before they go to that place is uh, as they're leaving, they're in the car, um, he knows that Tony has got an appetite. So he goes, Tony, are you hungry? And Tony replies, with, does Betty like butter? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. So they go they go to, um, like like you've mentioned before. The Orange Bird, I think it is. Yeah, it? and it's it's um, it's where they'd been recommended to go. Like, you can eat down the road if you want it's, and, like, go. That's, so they're implying that it's where all of the, the, the working class, like, black Americans go in their town yeah. to eat or to, to – it's a bar as well. So they go in. There's obviously all that that – Beard has already mentioned about him looking completely different because he's got his full 
sort of musical attire on, I it's guess. Like a, it's almost like a, kind of like a tux. You imagine yeah, it's got like those a, like dovetails on it that they always yeah, yeah. that they always in cartoons where they flick it out like Tom yeah. and Jerry or whatever, and they sit on it, and it rolls up and slaps them at first. So I was wearing one of them. Um, is it a dicky bib or something like that? But he he ends up playing on on stage with them, and it, it's it's a great scene. And then they come back for what I have just called Italian Christmas food scene, which yeah. is the final food scene where you actually see food that they do in the other bar as well, order the special, but I don't know what it I is. Think it's like, it looks like grilled chicken, like a fucking Nando's or something to me. Yeah, yeah. But on the Italian Christmas food scene, the only stuff that I can see is is a big Italian sort of like Christmas meal um, that's like a cross between, like it looks like there's Italian foods there, but also like your traditional, so like your hams. They've got stuff. oysters as well. They've got oysters. There's a massive like yellow tail type fish of some kind, like some big plate of ribs. Yeah. Like there's just anything you can imagine yeah. is just on this table coming out of this this very tiny oven <laughs> being put yeah. on this table with all these people. Um, this is this is what it's, that seems emotional as well because what happens is they think they're not going to make it home, right? Because mm-hmm. of the the weather is inclement and, and, uh, and he sort of agrees, doesn't he as well? Yeah. He's like, oh that's it. And Tony's like, I can't keep my eyes open obviously doesn't want to crash with Don in the back. And then you know it, it, it kind of does like a bit of an establishing shot, goes away from the car, comes back to the car, and who is driving but Don Shirley himself? So he's driven the final leg to get Tony home to his family on uh, yeah Christmas so Eve. He realizes it's that important to him. He's yeah, a family you, man. Yeah. Tony gets out and they have like a bit of a handshake, and you think, oh, is that it? After the, all this bonding, is that it? And then uh, Don Shirley goes back to his uh, apartment with his throne and stuff. Sits by there by himself. Yeah, sits there alone on Christmas Eve, and then it goes back to Tony's apartment. They're all having fun, you know. And this is one of the best parts of the film as well. Tony's brother or one of his relatives says something derogatory about Don yes. Shirley. Yeah, yeah. And then that shows how much um, Tony's changed. He says, "Hey, don't talk about him like that." And he says, "Yeah, okay." Uh, they all just accept it. They all just like shut up and like, "All right." Yeah. And then you think you think Don Shirley's arrived, but it's actually like some old bloke it's from the down the pa- shop. It's the pawn shop guy that he yeah. sold his watch to <laughs> that his brother had bought back, and then stiffs him by like asking for more money, and he's asking like, oh, for commission. Yeah. So yeah, he's invited him because that day he'd gone back to buy his watch, and then. Like as the doors close in, Hershelly's just stood there, and you're like, oh my God. he's got like a bottle of champers or whatever right in the fields, and then yeah. all the the family says, oh, come on in, you know, and then he has the big hug with Dolores. She says, thanks for writing the letters. It's just a great film. It's great, and um, as part of like <laughs> just the last fact, and we'll we'll go to the outro after this. We'll end it on a fact. Fucking outro is almost the, as long as the rest of it. Other, other than the recommendation that this film is excellent, you should definitely go watch it. And I'd never seen it before, but been dying to watch it. There's a surprise. No, I no, I waited. I wanted to watch it ages ago. I waited. I thought I might as well watch it for the first time for our Christmas episode. So I waited. But the fact here is Viggo Mortensen revealed that I, I'm going to maybe butcher this guy's name, but so Louis or Louis Veneer um, was one of Nick Vallonga's real life relatives. Um, he caused continuity problems in the family dinner scenes he kept eating the food after the director had yelled cut saying what props this is good fish come on (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um if you if you you know if you want to be a you know investigative sort of film watcher you could maybe go back and see whether the different bites of food food, food (laughs) disappearing as he goes But yeah, um, that's that's quite funny because obviously, as we mentioned before, he invited all of his family just into that scene, like his real life family, so real relatives of Tony Lip were just in that scene, um, which again is another reason to watch this film because it's just that's just nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's just nice. Is there anything else you want to say about this absolutely excellent film? No, just go watch it. Yeah, great Christmas and film. And about it if you like it. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of it as a Christmas film, but it ends at Christmas, so it totally is. It's, it's, it's if Die Hard is, then this is. 
Also, last, 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 last bit. This is the second, and this is um, current to what's happening right now. It's the second time that Linda Cardellini is waiting for her husband to come home for Christmas because currently on Disney Plus, there is the Hawkeye TV series where Hawkeye is in New York and he's got to get home for Christmas. I know you hate that. and That's why I've mentioned it last. <laughs> I, I saw a meme today that said, you got to feel for Hawkeye because like Tony Stark builds this super fucking souped up Spider-Man suit for a guy who's already got great powers. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Hawkeye doesn't get a suit and he's, he's, throwing, he's throwing sticks at aliens. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's a great show as well. Right, anyway, should we go to the outro? Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Right, we haven't got long because Beard has got places to be. I feel like so that was the got... least I've ever complained in an episode. <laughs> well, it's because you, you like the movie, you pick the movie. Yeah, you're going to hate yeah. the next one when For we sure. get to it. Which we will mention. We, we Obviously, last week was the first time we did this, and it was kind of a last-minute, off-the-cuff thing because we'd been asked by one of our Patreon subscribers to, to do this. So at the very end of this episode, this is the way to make you listen to the very end, guys. Nobody's got this far. Gonna, the fuck are you gonna, kidding? We're going <laughs> to mention what next week's episode is. So if you want to watch along, if you want to watch it before the episode, I'm sure... Many of you will have seen it, but we'll get to that. You've just got to get through this bit first, so enjoy. So, yeah, that was episode 20. We've been doing this for 20 episodes, about, like, what, four months, five months now? It's, uh, Jesus. He's still enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a shell of a man. I, I enjoy, I don't, I'm not sure I enjoy is the right word, but um, I don't know. I keep, we we keep have doing fun. It. You have so much fun that you did another podcast. Well, I keep coming back, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> We're available wherever you get your podcasts. So just search for Movie Mouthfuls Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Don't know why I keep saying that, but you know, if you're not listening to it on a podcast provider, go find us, follow us, and listen to us. Make sure that you subscribe, or if you can give a review or a star review in the app that you're using, then please do so. If you're using Apple, for example, Apple Podcasts, it's in app. So just scroll down. You're listening to it right now. Scroll down. Click here. You know, we said last time we'll take four, but I'd hope that you give us five. Do you ever and think just... that we don't get reviews because people have been they're so kind that they don't <laughs> want to say it is? Re- they can't really lie to themselves and say it's five stars, but they don't want to give us a two star. That's why it's like think. it was like a kindness thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we did have an eight to read out last week, but we've got a new one. So, so there are people that oh, listen, and fi- we've finally broken people <laughs> into okay. giving us a review. So if you want to be like Ross underscore Hog. You can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. He has left us one titled Absolutely Class. And it says, love these guys. Good banter and real life chat between mates. I think we're mates that way. Is that right? <laughs> is that I, know, I feel like it's a bit like the Don Shirley, Tony Valonga situation. <laughs> <laughs> Jingles are getting very good. Brilliant for the drive to work. Five stars. Oh, thanks. Who was that? Ross? Ross, Ross Hogg? Yep, yep. Cheers, Cheers Ross. Ross. Really, I do appreciate that. I know it's uh, it's often difficult for me to sound sincere, but I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. It's, it's the only part of this podcast that is. If it you makes guys it almost in. worthwhile <laughs> being locked in this room with this lunatic. <laughs> you can find us over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at Movie Mouthfuls. Um, you can find myself over on Twitter at the film fella underscore and also on youtube by searching for the film fella where i occasionally do film and tv reviews and all sorts of other vaguely entertainment related stuff in that space beard never says it because i'm presuming most of you're here because he's here but if you're not for some reason you've just stumbled onto us you can go check out beard meets food if you've never heard of him before over on youtube he eats food and he's got a beard it's yeah amazing. i mean <laughs> does what it says in the tin 
this this week it was the start of your New York series. Um, you are you are in this room. I'm not talking to like maybe I could have been somewhere near Tony's neighbourhood. You never know. Could have been yeah. It could have been could down have Long Island at some to, point. To see the, the doing some odd jobs. Yeah, it could have yeah. gone to Normans and done the hot dog challenge. Gormans. Got it wrong Gormans, twice now. That's it. Yeah, no, Jesus, God, sack me. Um, but yeah, you can go check out Beard. And if you just search for him on all all the platforms that a man of, of his stature would be on. <laughs> Meaning not, not a, TikTok, not, not Snapchat, and not, not LinkedIn. And not only fans. <laughs> not, not yet. But, but, Maybe but when I get this. Else, bro- everything else you can find him at, at Beard Meets Food or on YouTube, of course. If you fancy sending in any questions, because we had that we had that beautiful email, didn't we, the other week? Mm. Um, or if you've got anything that you want to say to us, you can obviously tweet us. Um, you can DM us on any of those socials because I, I do check them out. And uh, you can also email us at moviemouthfuls at gmail.com. We haven't got any this week, I'm afraid to tell you, but we did get a review, so it's like we got one off, one on for the for the past week. So hopefully next week we can have some reviews. And maybe a nice message. Maybe we should ask for the reviews at the beginning. Everyone's gone to sleep <laughs> by this point. Uh, Patreon. So if you want to support oh, no. us, you can head over to patreon.com slash moviemouthfuls if you wish to do so. Just chuck in whatever you can afford. With, you know, or If you can't do it, then you don't have to do it. It's fine. It's not a problem. But big thank you to Martin and Scott for supporting us still. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, really Martin and Scott. Uh, you must be like two, two sandwiches short of a picnic. But we, <laughs> I do, I, we do, I, I don't ask for, I, I didn't tell them to do this, but um, it, <laughs> certainly we appreciate it. Thank you. It, you know, it go, it'll all go back into the podcast. It's, it's not, it's not lining in our pockets in any way. Get us a, I'm getting us a new studio, so it might actually come in handy. Yeah. Get, get some more mics or something like that yeah. um, so if you want to get involved in that you can do um, I will start work on some of the suggestions that Scott had the other week um, obviously we've done one of them which is to tell you guys what we're going to watch next week well, I'll, I'll look into the discord stuff and whatnot. I promise um, as for merch if you want to have something more tangible for your money as opposed to just supporting us financially with nothing to gain at the moment at least you can head over to moviemouthfuls.bigcartel.com you can grab yourself a, a shirt or a, it's quite, it's quite it's bloody cold at the moment over here. So you can get yourself a nice hoodie. Someone did. I, ca- I cannot remember the name of the order that came through and probably for GDPR reasons, probably shouldn't start telling people who's ordered what. But someone ordered a nice Irish green hoodie with our lovely logo on. So that's going to be nice. And it's going to be like the Ooh. best billboard that we could have asked for yeah. this Christmas. Like everyone's going to see that. Um, but if you want one of them or a mug because it's getting cold and you want a nice hot beverage, Head over to uh, moviemouthfuls.bigcartel.com and use the code mouthfuls for 10% off to make it nice and cheap for you. As always, thank you to Lee and Hi Honey for all the music and the jingles on the pod. You can go check out Hi Honey over on your chosen music streaming service or YouTube. Um, I'm sure he'll enjoy that. Just tell him that we sent you if you're on YouTube. He does read the Colin comments. Russ Abbott or something funny like that. All of his comments on, on the, the Honey song that you used are just, we're here from Beard. We're here from Beard. Hey, Beard Army. And he's just been like reading them or replying to them. He's been like, hi. <laughs> like really awkwardly. But uh, yeah, he, he enjoys that. So if you want to go, we're here from Moving Mouthfuls and you can do it. I gave him a shirt the other day as well. So oh, hopefully nice. he might. He's, yeah, a, he's a handsome lad as well, isn't he? <laughs> Get him on one of his Instagram photo shoots wearing a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> he won't. Oh, damn. Um, and finally, big thank you again, as always, to Damon for all the awesome artwork that is adorned all over the podcast and all of the merchandise. So thank you for that. Um, I keep thinking that at some point, if we ever get to doing Paddington, because there's a lot of food in that, could maybe have a word with Damon, see if he wants to come on. Sure, we need another mic, though. <laughs> 
well, that's where, where that money will go invested, hopefully. We will be back very soon, but until then, remember to always eat your meals like it's your last. Not because we're worried about you or we're scared that we're going to lose you, but just because we think you should enjoy yourself. Yeah, eat with enthusiasm. Yeah, that's, that's coming from the don't number throw, one. Don't throw chicken bones out of a car window, though. That's that's pretty uncouth. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. And, and definitely don't throw like your actual litter. We're not, we're not up for littering. No, absolutely not. Different, different times and whatnot. But until then, see you in a bit. Peace. That may be our longest episode yet. Jesus. <laughs> well, good at least film, it was though. a good film. What the fuck was the other one that we did? It was really long. There was another one we did. It was like way too long. <laughs> I don't know. But speaking of other films, next week we're going to do Elf. Oh, is that decided? No, Jesus. <laughs> as long as we've got enough room for uh, Jingle All The Way, we don't think we're missing that one. No, we've got plenty of Christmas films to come. So keep listening, folks. See you in a bit.